welcome to Lowell Assembly's online service. We're so grateful that you're allowing us the privilege to speak into your life and come into your home, whether you're watching by cable television, YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, or even our online platform at lowellag.org, lowellag.online.church. We're grateful that you're watching us. I want you to just take a look at the many things around there on the page where you're at. And if you would, take a look at it. If there's things that interest you, if you'd like it, if you'd follow it, and even more so, if you'd share it with others, we believe that we've got such a great strengthening message that could impact and change people's lives, and in some ways for eternity, we'd be grateful. A lot of work and care and prayer has gone into this, and so we're hoping that most of all, it encourages and blesses you. So if it blesses you, be a blessing to somebody else and share that. This is the second part of our two-part series on Psalm 1. We've been in a series for uh, several weeks on the book of Psalms, which is the song book, uh, and it's, we call it the Songs of Heaven Sung on Earth. And they have different genres and styles. This is the first book of five in that one book. It's one book called the book of Psalms, but it's divided into five sections that were built through time. A lot of the ones that David wrote are in the beginning, but the first psalm of the first book at the beginning here, the opening song to the concert, was not written by David. In fact, uh, we talked earlier about how most of them have these superscripts that give you the story behind the song. This one doesn't have a story behind the song on the surface. But if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, I've placed before you life and death, therefore choose life. And it's found in verse six, where it says the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. This is a very familiar truth. The two ways. Last week, we focused on the, the wicked and the righteous and how the the, the righteous person is out of place in, in that lifestyle. And there are things that we do that define us, but there are things that we don't do that also define us. And the righteous person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Why should he? It, why, why should he stand in the way of sinners? Why should you stand in a road? You're not meant to stand in a road. You're meant to travel on it. And if not, you get hurt, you get hit. It's not the right place for us. And then we talked about how he sits in the seat of the scoffer. And we've all been at that place where we feel so low that the only way to feel better about yourself and raise yourself up is to lower somebody else in your words and, and, and to degrade them. And that's just such a rough place. That's bottom for us. When you're so low that you have to lift yourself up by lowering somebody beneath you, that's not the blessed life. God wants to bless your life. And the outcome of this Psalm shows us that blessing isn't this instant gratification but it is about the long trajectory and destination and outcomes that happen from somebody that says, you know what, I'm not just gonna listen to anybody speaking into my life. And just like a few weeks back, we said, don't listen to your heart, lead it, speak to it. The psalmist said, why are downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. Listen, your heart can guide you by your feelings and feelings are wonderful. They're wonderful, but they are terrible leaders for your life. They're just, they're just indicators and readers sometimes, but they shouldn't be leading you. God wants to lead you and he wants to do it through his word. Look at what the second half of this entire, this awesome, amazing psalm is, the psalm of instruction and teaching. It says this, verse two, this person, what he doesn't do are the things we mentioned, but what he does do is this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, they meditate day and night. Now, day and night doesn't need any interpretation there. 24-7, their mind is obsessed with where God's word applies to life 
and counsel and decision making. But what does it mean to delight? Listen, this person's feet that this, that this verse is talking about, this one walks a different path. Their footsteps are ordered by God, not greed. And David said it like this in 119 verse 32 of Psalms, I run in the path of your commands for you have broadened my understanding. The way is narrow, but when you begin to get into God's word, he broadens all of the reasons why we need to walk straight in a crooked world and why we need to choose between those ways to pick our destination ahead of time. And if we're headed in the wrong direction, there's no better time than now to get off of that on an exit ramp and turn in the direction and become the person and be the person you were meant to be. You can do that. But delighting in God's law, this Hebrew word chafetz, it's, it's not just to like be happy, you know, um, to, to smile over something. It's to want it. It's to crave it, to desire it, to be inclined to it, to be fond of it, to be willing to do what's needed to possess it, to, to have a deep desire. And it's even used, this word is used at a moment where somebody's trying to describe jewels. And literally, it's described as hafetz. Like you'd think, okay, there's a different word for jewels. This word sometimes is thrown in there to describe jewels. Why? Because it speaks about a desire based off of a value that is placed on something. Now, I, I don't want to sound condescending, and I don't want to sound condemning, but I want to sound honest, and I want to sound a truth and an alarm in your heart to say this, that if you want God's will and you want God's blessing, the psalmist is making it clear. Here's, how, here's the blessed person. They're not doing this, but this is what they are doing. They're meditating on this book day and night. If you want the blessing in favor of God, if you're in search of God's will and you are not in God's word, it's, it's like driving in any direction and expecting to get to a destination. It's like taking every exit that feels good because of the feeling rather than following the instruction that's there. And so that is what delight is. You know, a lot of uh, Christians at this point, New Testament uh, Christians, Gentile Christians, would look at this and be like, well, well the law is, is old and, and I don't need that in my life. I, I used to tell this to students and sometimes to the church. I'd ask him, I'd say, you know, has Jesus set you free from the law? And everyone would be like, yes, yes, you know, church talk, amen, amen, right? I'd be like, well, that's really great because he, I'm glad that I don't have to worry about the commandment, you shall not kill because you are irritating me so much. I really want a permanent solution to this problem. Get ready, I'm calling a couple of Italians and taking care of you. Like, does that what it, is that what it means to be freed from God's law? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's, it's that... We're not in this cycle to think that we're going to earn enough good points, flyer, uh, flyer points that we'll be able to get on the flight that's going to make it to heaven, you know, and, oh man, I hope I, 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 don't, I can have a round trip ticket here that I don't get stuck in, you know, some terminal. You're never going to be righteous enough. And when it talks about the law, it's, that word Torah is very broad. It means the commands, the instructions, the guidance of God. It's not this legalistic thing that says, you know, you used to do it like this to be righteous, but you don't need that anymore. You just need Jesus. Okay, I need Jesus, but I can live any way that I want. That makes no sense whatsoever, any more than saying I'm free from the law and I can just go out and kill people that irritate me. That's not what it talks about. One of the most beautiful uh, illustrations I ever embraced in this is a friend I've come to know in Jerusalem. His name is Moshi. Him and his brother own a jewelry shop. And every once in a while, they have these cross dialogues with Christians, talking with Christians about the, the, the Jewish faith 
and their love for God and the Christians and their love for God. And their whole saying is that we share a book and that's not a small thing. Uh, although we have a section of it that we believe is the fulfilled in Christ. He, he said something once that really helped me understand this delighting in the law of the Lord. He said when he was married, his wife began to have these cravings, you know, like any pregnant woman. And in the middle of the night, she was just dying for an orange. And he said, I got this. He left the house, hopped in his car, drove, was gone for about 45 minutes, an hour. And he comes back and in he walks, not with one orange, but with a whole bag of them. And he said it like this. He said, you know, doing the will and fulfilling the desire of the one that you love, that's, that's not a burden. That's a blessing. I want to bless my wife. I want to do it. And if, if you, we could see that, that walking in the way of God's word, meditating on his word is the same way that you want to bless that person that, that you've fallen in love with. That's what it's all about. And, and this is what the writer in the book of Psalms is talking about. Live out the gospel, the law of the Lord, the truth of God's instruction. Don't just listen to your feelings. Don't listen to your, your, your sinful inclinations. Don't take the advice of people that don't care or share your, your love for God or wanting uh, those kind of things for your life. You need to get on God's word and meditate on it day and night. Very famous preacher who was alive around the time of the Civil War in England. His name was C.H. Spurgeon. And he wrote, he wrote three books on the, the book of Psalms. They're awesome, awesome, awesome. Not outdated by any means. And he said this, he's, he talks about this person who meditates on God's word day and night. And he says, he takes a text and carries it with him all day long and into the watches of the night. I love how he puts that. You know, there are times where I will get a verse because I'm in God's word and God will just cause something to just leap out at me and I'll just pick it up and I'll keep reflecting on it over and over again. So not just studying it, but letting it study me. One of my first things that I ever wrote in this first Bible that I had was a statement somebody said when I was around 22, he said this, he said, either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And I, I wrote that down and, and I held that dear. And David said it like this in Psalm 119, how does a young man keep uh, from sin? He, he hides your word in your heart, or hide your word in my heart, O oh Lord, that I might not sin against you is, is the way that it's expressed here. But that's meditating on God's word day and night. Now think about this. This is C.H. Spurgeon really talking here. But is your purity a negative purity? Well, what, do I, what do I mean by that? Let me read his quote a little further down. He says this, perhaps some of you claim a sort of negative purity because you do not walk in the way of the ungodly. But let me ask you, is your delight in the law of God? Do you study God's word? Do you make it the man of your right hand, your best companion, your hourly guide? If not, this blessing does not belong to you. Listen, to say that you want the will of God and that you are not in the word of God is not being honest with either yourself or the God of the word. Can you say you meditate on God's word day and night? There's always room for growth in our life. And we should not allow ourselves to be knocked down and kept down because of what we don't do perfect. We have this saying in our community, it's not perfection, it's direction. And that's what this Psalm is all about. Trajectory and, and direction determine your destination. And of course your destiny. 
You don't have to be 100% on every single time, but, but you're, you're headed in that way versus the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Or in this case, I'd say going in a direction opposite to where you know you should be going and expecting that you're going to arrive there anyway. That's insane. It doesn't make any sense. We need to take God's word to devour it. This first Bible that I ever had, I, I came into it. This book is what impacted my life. I, my mom, I, at this time, I, I wasn't walking a Christian walk. I, in fact, I was defi- you would define me as all the things that someone who would be righteous wouldn't do. And my mom came up to me and she said, what do you want for your birthday? I just blurted out a Bible. She, she was like, I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, please don't ever leave this house again. She ran out, bought me the best study Bible that was out there at that time, the NIV study Bible. And as I began to read it, I realized that I needed the God of the book in order for the book of the God to speak into my life. There was a barrier between me and it was, it was a lack of relationship and understanding with the author. And I made my peace with God. But let me tell you, this book, I devoured it and I have continued to devour it. I, I had to bind it and rebind it and it's time again. And I can be like, yeah, you really do. You chew on that thing. I, I have filled it, underlined it, highlighted it, marked it, bent it, studied it, restudied it, and let it study me. And in that book, it was out of this book and God's word that I began to get a broader understanding of why I need to walk the narrow path, why I need God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Facebook, Twitter, news, Netflix, Disney+, Instagram, TikTok, unless you never pick up God's word. My friend, Pastor Barry Hansen, he's one of the team pastors at the Bridge Church in Cape Cod. He's one of the one of the most kind-hearted and positive people I know. And Barry, if you're looking at this, I'm gonna just tell you to look at it to say, I wish you were my brother. I cannot tell you how amazing of a person you are for for just so many reasons. And we had the honor of being in Israel years uh, this past, about a year ago. But Barry was in my life while I had this book, and it was new in my life. And he used to go around. And he'd say, Paul. Everybody wants a revival. We need a Bible revival. We need a revival where people pick up the Bible and begin to see what God really says about things and engage what God says and believe and step out in those things. Well, you know, Pastor Paul, I'm more of a prayer than a reader. You know what? You need to change that because God says the man, the woman, the teen, the kid, the person who walks the righteous path, is delighting in this book and meditating in it. You cannot have the God of the book without the book of the God and vice versa. This book was meant to be in tandem with your daily life. And if you're downloading everything and you're not uploading this book, the blessed life is not going to be yours. That blessing, as C.H. Burton said, is not for you. We need a Bible revival. Why? Because 1 Samuel 3, 21 says that God revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh through his word. One of the greatest prophets in Israel's history didn't get up to speed and into who all God had him to be and become and do because he kept getting visions. He had it happen in his life because he meditated on this book and out of it, God began to speak to him. In the years that I was at Bible college teaching students, preparing them for ministry, uh, missionary students all over the world. 
I can't tell you how proud I am. I can't take pride in you to say, I made you who you are. No, your greatness was in you. And it was an honor to journey with you. And it is even a privilege to watch you be and become everything God intended. And you being the example of what we're talking about here. Um, it's amazing. Amazing. But Bible college students and some Christians are obsessed with God's will for their life. How do you find God's will? How do you find God's way? You find it in God's word. This is the problem with the 21st century Christian. They're looking for something that's right there in front of them, and they're not accessing it. It's in God's word. God's will is in God's word. You walk out the word, and you walk it out in your way, in your life, and you find yourself walking into God's will. And this is the flaw with thinking. I have so many students that are emotionally distraught and people in churches that are just disturbed because they just want God to speak to them. You know, I think sometimes when people do that, they just want to abdicate the responsibility off on God. So if the plan goes wrong, then they say, well, I just did what God told me. Or they never do anything because they're waiting for uh, heaven to open and a voice to come from heaven. And the whole time God's saying, hey, I've given you everything you need for godliness in this life. My spirit is here. My word's here. The path is there. Walk out the word and you will find your way to the will of God. There's somebody that is listening to this right now. And your problem is exactly what we're talking about. And the solution is exactly what I'm saying. This is a word from God for your life. Stop trying to find God's will for your life. Start getting God's word in your life. Because if you walk in God's word, you will walk in his way and you will find yourself in the will of God. Look at it in Joshua. Moses dies. They still haven't entered promise. And God calls you and I into all of the great promises he has. And he says this to Joshua. He says, Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse three, every place you walk, I'm going to give it to you. Not only that, but God begins to give him a pep talk and says, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Why? Because life is hard. Life is discouraging. No matter whether you're walking in the will of God or not, there are always going to be challenges. For you to walk in God's will and think that you are going to be uh, void of challenges, threats, problems. It's just not realistic thinking. And here God makes it clear. Hey, be very courageous. Be very strong because you're going to have things that are going to try and weaken you and instill fear in you. Be careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. This is Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 now. Look at this. Be, only be strong and courageous. Be very careful to do everything according to the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Guess what? The psalmist is singing a song from the advice of the mouth of God to Joshua to say, how do you find God's will for your life? How do you encounter victory? How do you encounter blessing? You meditate on this word day and night, just like what he said to him here, so that you may be careful what? To do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Stop obsessing with where you're supposed to go and start obsessing over the steps of living out and walking out God's word. And then you'll find the will of God. Everything else will fall into place. And if you've not been God's word, we, this week, this month, this year, this, it's, it's never too late for you to become the blessed person by walking and meditating in God's word. Pick up a psalm 
a day. Pick up a proverb for every day of the week. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. You read one of those for a year, every day of the, of the week. You'll be a wise human being. And that's just the beginning. There are the gospels. There's the, the, the mighty and powerful deliverance that you might need in your life. It's found in the book of Exodus. There's the confrontation and warnings that come to us through the prophets. There's the wisdom and deep insight found in the letters of Paul. Stop thinking about God. Stop looking for him in a building or in the mouth of other people or in the inclinations of your heart. Do you like Samuel did? Do you like Joshua did? Pick up this word like the psalmist in chapter 1, verse 2, and meditate on it day and night. It is the map for your life, not the destination. Stop having destination disease. Have, have desire, obsession for God's word. A Christian's life without God's word is like a journey without direction. It's drifting in an ocean without navigation or purpose. Maybe you've been your own worst counsel. Maybe you're not listening to the wicked, but you're just listening to yourself too much. And God's saying, will you listen to me? Will you pick up my word? Will you meditate on it? You know, the second half of this whole chapter, the second metaphor, it moves from what the righteous don't do that the wicked are doing. Then he moves to what the righteous do, meditate on God's word. This is the center of it all, God's word. Center of it, central. And then it fast forwards in time-lapse photography to say, let's see what happens to these two paths when time plays out. Verse three, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that drives away the wind. This is a metaphor of a flourishing tree that is right in season and never withers versus chaff. Uh, that when you, the, the chaff is, is something that's not maybe familiar to most of us, but in nine, until, up until 100 years ago, for thousands of years, 90% of the world were farmers. So these metaphors made sense. But what the, what the people would do and have been doing for millennia, they would gather the harvest, they'd plant the seed, they'd pray for the rain, they'd gather the harvest, they'd cut the stalks, they'd, they'd slice them down, then they'd put them in a big pile, and then they'd crush them up, cut them up. And then when it was all said and done, they would take a pitchfork, a winnowing fork, they'd stick it in. And at the end of every day, this is a really unique thing to Israel, and I know this from, from being there and going there and studying about this place my whole life. You every single evening, a wind comes from the west and blows east off of the Mediterranean. And in the evening, you stick your fork in, you throw it up in the air, and the wind will carry away the straw, that's the chaff, and the wheat falls to the ground. That's what John the Baptist was doing it's, it, and saying that Jesus would do. He's winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll separate the wheat from the chaff. He said, to, uh, the, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan's desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that, you that your faith might not fail. In other words, what Satan said is this man's a piece of trash. He's, he's not wheat. There's no weight or substance to his life. You just let me blow some discouragement and difficulty his way, and you'll watch him drift away in the wind. There was nothing really of value in his life at all. Jesus said, oh, no, I chafetz Peter. I desire him. I love him. I long for him. I want him to come out the other side of this. And he prayed for him. And Peter goes from being the, the person who denies Christ to being one of the greatest voices of the early church. Listen, it's not perfection. It's direction in your life. God can turn your life on a dime. 
and, and make it invaluable and that you'd say, I was born to do this. The outcome of these two people's lives are separated from one that flourishes, fruits, and reproduces versus one that goes nowhere. Oh, they look the same initially. They looked, they looked very similar. In fact, maybe even the life that ended up in, in chaff, you know, that ended up coming to nothing, the front end of that journey was awesome. But a blessed life is a fruitful life. It multiplies. It blesses multiple people. God wants to bless your life. He wants it to be fruitful. And the way that it is found is through his word. I want you to know something. We're in a very difficult season. There are some things that I've always done in my life as I've read this book. I've read it. I've prayed. I've not been a person of perfection, but I've been a person of direction. And through the years, it's God's spoken different things to me. I've write them, written them down. But I want to speak a very practical thing into your life here right now in a very dry season financially. Many of you have businesses and you're saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. Some of you have already said, we're not going to make it. That's okay. If you're walking with God or you begin walking with God here, he'll, he'll work things out. One of the things I always did is I said, I don't want you just to be Lord of my sin. I want you to be Lord of every area of my life. I've always given my finances first to God. And inside my Bible here, whether I had a dollar or whether I had a hundred, no matter what it was that I had to give to God, I always honored him with the tithe and I always honored him beyond that with offering and giving to missions. And I've written every single miracle. Listen to just some of these. This is a young man, a new car, brand new, 17,000 miles, $12,000, a fully paid trip to Israel that resulted in a life of study there, $250 for a a, a bill for dentist work. I had, I had a, a problem with my tooth and I didn't know how in the world I was gonna pay for it. I was thinking that maybe I'd just yank the tooth out and at the end of the surgery, at the, the dentist was asking me, the oral surgeon was asking me, what do I do for a living? When I went to pay the bill, he said, you know what? I really appreciate what you do. Let's just say that your faith is taking care of this. Man, God has a way of making the math work when it doesn't. A, a $6,000 for our wedding $500 from a church, $750 from a trip to Orlando, $1,000 mom and dad for uh, the birth of our son. I mean, you know, sometimes it comes from people that you expect and other times it comes from places that you don't. I remember where we were supposed to be headed out to the Midwest and I was gonna go to college and I had a full scholarship and I had to let it go because my wife got delayed with her student teaching. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know how I was gonna pay the bills. I figured we, were, we, we had everything worked out and the plan blew up, but what did I do? I kept meditating on his word. I kept walking in that word and walking in that way. The boss calls me in the office and says, well, well, you're not going anywhere. Tell me what you need. And I said, well, I could probably find an apartment for you know, uh, $500. He said, what are you, stupid? How much do you think apartments cost? And every, then he's like, how much do you need for food? And I said, well, if we use coupons. Every single time I mentioned things, he looked at me and said, what are you, dumb? Are you crazy? And he doubled it, tripled it. Then he said, do you have insurance? I said, um, no. He goes, what's wrong with you? He says, insurance, hits enter. Full package for, full coverage for insurance. He says, go take that to Elaine, the accountant, and have her start. This is where you start tomorrow. It's like I went from minimum wage to a livable wage earning with full insurance in a matter of 50 seconds. 
And it was later that week that we found out that my wife had a brain tumor. And now I had full insurance. And by the grace of God, through surgeons and through patients and prayer, we went through it. She's fine. She's healthy. It's not an issue anymore. But this is what happens when you walk in God's word. Stop looking for his will. Start looking for his word. Walk in it and obey it. Trust him. Listen to the last verse as I close here. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. As I close here, I want you to understand God's book is not a self-help book, a alternative diet. Hey, there's so many diets out there right now and everybody's going to be doing them because we have earned our COVID-19 pounds. We forget that we're talking about eternity. That if I'm wrong, we have nothing to worry about. If Christianity isn't real and God isn't real, well, we have nothing to worry about. But if it is, and if I could make a plug to say, I'd bet my life on it. We need to be giving that attention. You see, the destination of both of these people is a judgment. And it says that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They won't be able to stand because they won't be standing there being able to point to Jesus saying, I know I never was good enough. Thank you for sending your son. I embrace that. Thank you for your blessings. You see, nobody is going to get to heaven and strut around and say they're good enough. Let me give you this metaphor from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. If anyone builds, it's talking about your life, your path, your destination. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, and costly stone, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. What day? The day of judgment. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what was built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though as only one escaping through the flames. I remember a profound British pastor saying one time, you can have an entire warehouse of straw and one small gold coin, but take one match to it and everything's gone. It's not how much you build with. It's what you're building your life with. You begin to build something that will go through the flame to the other side. You don't get there by accident, friend. When you stand before God and give an account for your life, you might not give thought to this every day of your life, but it will be the most important day of your life. You'll stand before God. And the question will be is, is, did you try to stand on your own merits and your own righteousness? Did you allow my son who died on a cross to take away your sin and your shame and your guilt, my rage against sin? Did you embrace that truth? Because at that point, you're standing on your own or you're standing behind Christ. And heaven's going to be filled with a bunch of imperfect people who didn't have perfection but had the right direction because they understood the way and the path of righteousness is to come to God first with your sin, with your wickedness, with your sin, with your scoffing, and asking forgiveness. That's the beginning of the journey, and that's what I want to lead you in right now. I'd like you to pray this with me. Jesus, right now, as these people are listening, wherever they're at, whether this is just reminding them they're headed in the right direction or they're realizing there's something very, very 
wrong and needs to be given attention immediately right now. Father, we pray that you would help them to take that exit ramp. It is not as hard as we think to turn direction. It's impossible to turn perfection. This isn't cold turkey and doing it perfect from here forward. This is just heading in a new direction, the direction of your word. And I pray in Jesus' name, you would help people to do the work because blessed life is an active life. And fruit doesn't sit around every day going and dropping sweet seed everywhere. No, it, it, they're, they're dry seasons, but the leaf doesn't wither. Just like Joshua, he told them not to be terrified or discouraged because even the way of righteousness isn't a, 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 a place without terror or difficulty or discouragement, but we are banking on the long game of standing before you for all eternity and allowing you, Lord God, to be praised by us all the days of our life for all eternity. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving our sin. And I pray right now that people listening to this would begin to realize that God's not looking for a way to keep them out of heaven. He's looking for a way to direct them to it, that the path is found in your word, not in their feelings, not in a faith system, but in a personal relationship with you that's walked out through your word. Give us the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We believe the best is yet to come for you. Again, take a look at all the different things that are down below or above you, around you in this. If you'd like it, if you'd follow it, and if you'd share it, we'd be grateful for that. And we want you to know we love you. We consider you part of our church, whether you've never walked through the door or you're a regular part of our community for years. God has great things for your life, and he wants to do what he did for Samuel to reveal himself through his word. God bless you, and we will see you next week as we continue our series on Psalms. Thank you so much for joining us today for service. Please go to lowellag.org to catch up with everything that's going on with the church. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.